please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. And man, like John was saying at the beginning of our service, if this is your first time with us, welcome. We're so glad you're at New Life. I hope uh, that, uh, that you'll come back and try this again. And uh, we would love for you to be here. We are actually taking a short break from our origin series. We've been studying for the last few months through the book of Genesis. And we always knew we were going to press pause on that during the Christmas season so that we could focus on the birth of Jesus. We'll come back to Genesis in January. But we're really just focusing right now on the circumstances, the people, the places surrounding the birth of Jesus. And as I've shared with you guys last week, that there is kind of a danger for people like us, is that we can come so, become so familiar with the details of a certain story that we think, yeah, we already know this. I don't really need to read it anymore. I don't really need to engage in it. I, I tear with you that when you come across Bible passages, like I'm gonna skip this chapter because I already know all about it, that's when you need to stop and spend more time studying it because I guarantee you there are things you don't know yet. There's things that God wants you to see and reveal to you. And uh, so that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to take what is perhaps the most familiar story in the world. I mean, this is the most recognizable story all over the place, and we're trying to take what is very familiar and look at it again with fresh eyes, fresh view of the people, the places, and circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus. And in doing so, we are also asking several very important questions along the way. One of those questions is, what does this story teach us about the character of God? There's some stuff about God that I think we're gonna uh, learn over the last, next couple of weeks, and we wanna make sure we focus in on that. What does this tell us about the child whose birth we celebrate? I hope all of us are gonna learn something about, about the birth of Christ and how that impacts our lives today. Third and final question we're asking with this series is, what does this story mean for our lives today? All good Bible study comes with application. How does this help me become um, deeper in my walk with Christ? How can I be a better Christian? And, and these are some of the questions we're asking as well. Now, when we started this series last week, we really focused on, you know, the circumstances around Mary and Joseph. Just a quick reminder, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and he has this big announcement. You're gonna be a mom. Now, can you imagine? You're gonna be a mom. And, and, and it's amazing what Mary does in response. How, well, how does she respond to this? She's like, I am your servant. May it be so. Now, that's an amazing response from somebody who's just told that she's gonna be a mom and that the baby inside of her, that baby, is actually from God. That is a lot of information to take in in a very short amount of time. Now, she was engaged to a guy named Joseph. How did he take the same news? Not so good, all right, not so good at all. Uh, the Bible tells that Job's like, I'm one out of this thing, uh, and, and he intends to end the engagement with Mary. But then the angel appears to Joseph and uh, tells him what's going on, and all of a sudden he's a changed man. And like, Joseph's like, I will do it. Now, Joseph doesn't ever say anything in the Bible. This story, he has no speaking parts, but as we're seeing, what you will see out of Joseph is that his actions speak louder than his words ever could. He is that silent hero of faith. He just obeys what the Lord tells him to do, which is, which is really awesome. Mary asks a very important question of the angel when he tells her that she's gonna be a mom. She asked the angel, how is this even gonna happen because I've never done anything remotely close to being in a position where I could ever be a mom right now? And the angel said, you remember? He said, nothing is impossible with God. What an incredible reminder for us today as we enter into this season where there are things in some of our lives like that's impossible. Friends, I'm here to tell you, nothing is impossible with God. We learned a little bit about where they're from. Mary and Joseph were from Nazareth. We, we know that Nazareth is famous today, but back then it was a podunk place and, 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 and it was kind of looked down upon. In fact, even one of Jesus' disciples, when he found out that Jesus was from, from Nazareth, do you remember what he said? Nazareth, 
Can anything good come from Nazareth? I tell you, there's something about the location of where the birth story of Jesus begins that reminds us that God is often looking for the meek and the humble to fulfill his, his purposes. It's another reminder that God often chooses the least likely people to fulfill his purposes in the world. And just the very location teaches us that. So here you are, you're caught up now. This is where we are in the story. Today we're gonna just keep moving along through the text and we're going to find out what did Mary do next after she received this incredible news that she was gonna be a mom. And the Bible says that she went and she went to visit her relative Elizabeth. You might recall that Elizabeth came up in last week's sermon briefly because the angel told her, hey, even your relative Elizabeth is already six months pregnant. Do you remember that? And so the next thing is Mary's like, well, I'm gonna go see Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth had a husband named Zachariah and those two together, we're gonna learn their story today, but they are gonna have a baby and do you remember the name of their baby? It was John, none other than John the Baptist. So if you've got your Bible, look at verse 39 of chapter one, that's where we're gonna start today. It says this, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. So John the Baptist, who's in her, just six months old, in her belly or in her womb, he leaped for joy when, when he heard Mary's voice. Pretty awesome. So the greeting, baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise, promises to her. We know we're not really sure what the relationship was between Mary and Elizabeth. There's been a lot of speculating and that's really the best we've got. Some people think that maybe Elizabeth is an older cousin. Maybe it's Mary's aunt. Maybe she's a great aunt. We're not sure, uh, we can never say for certain. But what we do know is that Elizabeth was somebody who was very important to Mary. And the Bible just says that, that Mary didn't waste any time at all. She got the news that she's gonna be a mom and she gets up and she leaves to go see Elizabeth. If I had to guess, Mary was thinking that if there is one person on this planet who could possibly understand what I am going through, it would be Elizabeth. Because let's face it, the very fact that Elizabeth is pregnant, it's kind of a miracle. It really is, and you're gonna learn why that is here in just a moment. And maybe Mary was thinking, hey, I didn't expect to be pregnant right now, and I know Elizabeth didn't expect to be pregnant right now. I think she might understand, maybe the only person on earth that would understand what I'm, I'm going through. See, Elizabeth, her relative, whoever she is, um, she uh, had given up on having children. When we catch up to their story, she and her husband are well beyond uh, childbearing age, and she really wasn't thinking that. Her, her pregnancy is quite miraculous. Now, the, the angel Gabriel brings up Elizabeth's name to Mary, and it causes Mary to go see her. Let's rewind just a little bit and find out why Gabriel even mentioned Elizabeth in the first place. If you could, look in your Bible. We're gonna go back a couple verses to verse five. Can you find verse five right at the beginning of the first chapter of Luke? This is Elizabeth's backstory, and this is why she comes into play here in the story of Jesus. It says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, 
who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was a descendant, also descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. When, Elizabeth, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So there's a little bit of backstory of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest who was chosen by the casting of lots to go in and burn incense in the temple. Casting of lots would be kind of a similar thing that we might do today. Hey, let's draw straws. And, and whatever, who got ever the straw that was chosen, that's who got to serve. It's the same way how we pick you to do service today in the church. We just like, you know, throw dice out there and say, well, it's Bill's turn. No, I'm just, we don't do that. I'm kidding. Uh, we, we actually try to match up spiritual gifts and, and, and desire and all that. But, but that's just really what it is. It's, it was their way of saying, God, you choose who is supposed to go in there. And we're going to let you choose by the casting of lots. And this was actually pretty typical back in this time. But let me tell you something about this day. There was nothing random about it that, that Zechariah was in the temple that day. No, in fact, what you're going to see is God's hand was on this whole thing. God specifically chose him because God wanted to give him a message on this particular day. And we learn about this message in the very next verse. Look at verse 11. So Zechariah goes in there. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. So just kind of get the picture here. This is a very important deal and, and, and it was an honor to go in there and burn this incense. No one's supposed to be in there with him. All the worshipers are outside worshiping while he's inside and there is somebody else in there and he is gripped with fear. Just a little side note here, just about every time in the Bible where you read about an angel showing up on earth, um, it is associated with fear, and usually the first words out of the angel's mouth is what? Do not be afraid. Friends, I'm telling you, if an angel showed up, I would probably be terrified. I'd be just like Zechariah, gripped with fear, okay? So this is what he's in there, and the angel shows up in verse 13. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, okay? Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy. Now listen to this description of John the Baptist, okay? In the womb, John the Baptist. He will be a joy and a delight to you and, and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Now that's something. We could spend a long time talking about that actually. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Friends, that's saying something. To turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Friends, that is an incredible announcement. You kind of have to nod your head with that. That is absolutely incredible announcement. Not to mention John's description of what John, the, or the angel's description of what John the Baptist's life is going to be like. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit before he's even born. That's John the Baptist. 
He says that this, this baby that you're gonna have, he says, Zachariah, you're gonna be a dad and, and his name's gonna be John and let me tell you what John's gonna do. John is gonna bring many people in Israel back to God. If you've read ahead and you know about John the Baptist, what was his message? Repent for the kingdom of God is near. Repent, 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 repent. And he's out there baptizing people for repentance. This is this man's job. The angel said he's gonna go before the Lord. We know he's gonna go before Jesus. He's gonna get people's ready, their hearts and minds ready to receive Jesus. He'll be like an Elijah figure. He'll be like a prophet in that way. I mean, this entire description of John the Baptist here before he's ever born, I mean, it's absolutely loaded. Let me, let me share with you something that Jesus said about John the Baptist many years later in Luke chapter seven, verse 28. Jesus said, among those born of women, which is a fancy way of saying everybody, because everybody entered this world through their mother. And he's saying, of everyone born of a woman. So no one's excluded here. There's been no one, Jesus said, greater than John. Now just think about who says those words. It's Jesus himself saying no one has ever been born who is greater than John. This baby that the angel is telling his dad about in the temple that day. That's powerful. But at this point in the story, if you've never read ahead and you don't know anything about what John's life will become, what you know right now is that uh, this angel makes an announcement and he starts this announcement off by saying, Zachariah, God has heard your prayer. That's awesome. God has heard your prayer. Don't you wish that every prayer that you've ever prayed in your whole life would come with an angelic confirmation? Don't, wouldn't that be nice? You say a prayer and then boom, an angel appears. God, what do you want me to do? God, should I go this way or should I choose this? And, and you pray this prayer and then boom, an angel appears and says, the Lord has heard your prayer. And he said, pick door number three. All right, I, I don't know, but to me, that would, be, that would be something. But here's the reality, and I hope we all know this. We don't need an angelic confirmation to know that God hears our prayers. We don't need an angel to show up to tell us God heard our prayers because the Bible tells us that God hears all of our prayers. And when we pray to God, we can pray with all the confidence in the world, knowing that God will hear it and God will answer it in his own time, in his own way. He hears every single thing we ever pray. I wonder, what exactly was Zachariah praying about? This prayer that God heard, what was it? The context obviously makes us think that it had something to do with being a dad. The context has something to do with, with Elizabeth being a mom. I mean, that's what seems, seems obvious. A question I have was, is this, is that a prayer that he prayed that day? Or is this a prayer that he had prayed decades earlier and forgot all about? But God never forgot about it. Do you realize God knows everything you've ever prayed, not just today, but yesterday, and everything you've prayed since you were a little kid, all the way up to the point you go into the grave. God hears all those prayers, and God will answer it. I'm just wondering, Zachariah and Elizabeth were well past the years of, of having kids, and I'm just wondering, I'm suspicious, if this prayer that God heard wasn't prayed decades ago, and long made peace about, and it's just not gonna be for us, and we move on with life, and God's like, no, I heard your prayer. And now I'm gonna answer your prayer when I am good and ready to answer your prayer. Friends, uh, don't lose sight of that. God answers prayers. I, I can think in 
things in my life where I've shared with you many times, my father who's now in heaven, but, but my father has prayed prayers and I remember him praying prayers as a child that didn't come to fruition until I was much older and had my own family and I could connect these dots. So that's something that they've been praying about for years and even stuff they prayed about for a long time ago. I can see this stuff happening in my own family and I'm sure many of you can as well. God hears your prayers and he answers them when he wants to. Some of you are like, we prayed for kids a long time ago and we don't want God to remember that now because we're good now. <laughs> so well, we, we used to pray for kids all the time and it's okay if God lets that one go. We're good. <laughs> Surprise, sometimes God doesn't work on our timetables. I don't know when Zachariah heard that prayer but what I do know is the angel showed up and said, God heard it. And now I'm here to tell you about it. Look at verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. That's the politically correct way of saying my wife is old too, all right? You would never say that, but it's like, she's well along too, you know. I'm old and she's getting up there, you know. And the angel said to him in verse 19, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. Well, I should just let that hover a little bit, you know? I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed in the temple so long. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. When he realized uh, uh, the temple, and he kept making signs to them, but they but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. And the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. What's she talking about? What's this disgrace she's talking about? It's, as we've seen, even back in our study of Genesis, we see it other places in the Bible, culturally speaking, in this time in history, a, a woman looked at her primary role in life is to bring new life into the world and to continue on the family name. And if a woman could not do that, there was actually some cultural shaming and disgrace feeling that came along with it. It's, it's hard to really tap into that today, but back then this was huge. And, and, and she's like, God, even now in my age, you've blessed me like this and, you, and you've, you've taken away this. That's what she's referring to. She's take, like this social shaming, you've taken that away from me. And she's grateful. You know, you think about the story of Jesus, it actually begins with two miraculous pregnancies, which one leads to the birth of John the Baptist, which that miraculous pregnancy is more in the similar fashion as like Abraham and Sarah, who were well beyond their childbearing age, but God gave them a son anyway. Zachariah and Elizabeth, well beyond their time to have children, God gave them a son anyway. So the first miraculous pregnancy is in that spirit. And the second one, obviously, is the birth of Jesus. The more important one, the, the more miraculous, if you will, where, where Mary, who'd never been in a situation to be a mom yet, God gives her a son, and, and it's God's son. So two miraculous 
pregnancies. And all of this reminds us of what the angel has said, not just to Abraham and Sarah, but also what the angel said to Mary, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is too hard for God. And this truth, it, it, just, it just shouts at us through the pages of the New Testament, especially the, the, the circumstances and the people surrounding the birth of Jesus. So Mary decides to take a trip. She gets this news. She finds out Elizabeth is gonna have a baby too. And she travels immediately to where Elizabeth lives. Now, as, as best we can understand and know, Elizabeth was living in a town that we know today is in Kareem, okay? It's in Israel. And as best we can tell, it would take Mary seven, eight, maybe nine days to travel from Nazareth to where um, her relative Elizabeth lived in, in Kareem. And uh, the fact that Mary would travel nine, eight or nine days just to see her, that tells us a little bit about the importance of this relationship and how important it was for, for her to be with her relative. And like I said, I, I think she just longed to be with somebody who would believe her. Somebody who could understand what she's going through. We do the same thing today, friends. We go through something significant or challenging in our lives. We want to be with people who get it, who get us, who can empathize with us. Say, I'm walking with you. I think this is Mary and Elizabeth's story. Remember, just a few details about Mary. She's maybe 13, maybe 14. She is uh, carrying the Messiah, you know, that wasn't her choice, but she accepted her role and said, I'm a servant. She's pledged to be married to Joseph and there's question marks hanging around that relationship and she's pregnant outside of marriage and there's, there's a lot for her to carry and I think she just wants to be with somebody who kind of gets what's going on. Today, if you were to travel to the town of in Kareem, you're gonna find several churches that are built there that are specifically built to commemorate the details of Luke chapter one. One of those churches um, in that community is called the Church of the Visitation. The Church of the Visitation. They say traditionally that this church is built on top of the very spot where Mary and Elizabeth greet each other here in Luke chapter one. Is that the exact spot that they greet each other? I have no idea. The best I can say is it's somewhere around there and they, they named a spot and they built a church on it and it's, it's special to visit places like this because you know significant things in the Bible happen near these places. There's another church not far from this one. It's called the, the Church of St. John the Baptist. I don't have a picture to show you of that one. But uh, that church, they say, traditionally, is built right on top of the spot where John the Baptist was born. How would they know that? I have no idea. But underneath the church, there's kind of a, they call it a grotto. It's like a cave system, if you will, a little bit. And they have literally kind of this mark on the ground that says, this is the exact spot that John the Baptist, I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. But what we do know is it's around this area. And, and you build churches and you build monuments around things where significant things happen. And, and it's special to travel these places in the Holy Land. Uh, side note here, that um, um, uh, if you've ever wanted to go on a Holy Land trip, we are still talking about doing that in the near future. Uh, a group of us from the church went in 2017. Life-changing experience. If you ever get the opportunity to go to Israel, you need to do it. And then um, we planned another trip for 2021. Let's see, what got in the way of that trip? Um, oh yeah, COVID. 
all of Israel shut down and you couldn't get in. So that, that trip had to get scrubbed and I know that was disappointing, but um, just at some point, I just want you to know that's still on the radar. We'd love to take a large group from New Life and go travel the Holy Land. It, it's a life-changing experience. We'll go see places like this a lot. But when Mary finally reaches Elizabeth's home, um, Elizabeth hears Mary's voice. There's a greeting that happens. And, and, and when she hears this voice, Elizabeth says, the baby in me. So this is John the Baptist leaped for joy. So I'll, I'll, I'll not tell you, it's an incredible thing for a mother to feel her baby kick inside of her. And no guy will really understand this. Uh, all mothers understand this, that, that feeling. I, I'll never forget when, when my wife was pregnant with our firstborn son, Neil, who's now 17, going on 42. And, um, and, and, and he was very active one day. And, and she said, here, and she took my hand and she put it on her belly. And, and Neil, I, it, almost like he kicked, like boom. I'm like, whoa, whoa. You know, it's, it's an interesting experience. And I put my hand back there and I could feel him, him moving around. And, and it's just an awesome awesome thing. Um, how could anybody feel that and ever again have a serious conversation about whether that is life or not? I'm just gonna be honest with you. I, I can't take people seriously who want to tell me that's not life. I, I can't take them seriously. I, um, I, I, I felt my son kick inside of my wife's belly, and I, from that day forward, I could just never take anyone seriously again who ever said that's not life. And man, God help us, our country. Shame on us for the laws we have. And there will be a reckoning. It's gonna happen. I believe in my spirit. And if it doesn't happen um, before this return of Christ, it will happen during the return of Christ. God will not let this go. God will not put up with our lack of value of life forever. And there will be a reckoning. So you have this baby inside of Elizabeth's womb and he leaps for joy when, when the sound of Mary's voice enters the room. And the Bible tells us that Mary is, excuse me, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and, and not in a quiet voice, the Bible's specific, in a very loud voice, animated voice, she says this in verse 42, in a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me now? Now just think about some of the circumstances. Just think about it. Mary at best is just a few weeks pregnant and yet this baby that's already forming inside of Mary, inside of her womb, already has an identity and that identity is already known to Elizabeth. And remember, this is a day and age. It's not like Mary sent her a text and said, hey girl, I'm on my way to see you. You know, Elizabeth had no idea that Mary was on her way. She had, could have never known exactly what was going on with Mary. She just came and the second she hears the voice, she's filled with the spirit and she identifies what is happening inside of Mary, that, that what is developing in her was none other than her words, my Lord. That's pretty awesome. And then you have Elizabeth, who's six months pregnant, and the child inside of her responded to it as well. And right here in utero, John, 
The Baptist bore witness to the identity of Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, which I find fascinating because what is happening inside the womb of their mothers is the exact thing that is gonna happen outside of the womb in real life. John will go before Jesus and remember when John the Baptist comes on the scene and Jesus comes to be baptized, what does John say? Behold the Lamb of God whose sandals I'm not even fit to untie. That's, this is John. It's happening before they're even born is what I'm saying. That I find remarkable. Interesting note here. I try to point out things that maybe is not exactly knowable on the surface, but I like to point them out to you, that the very first person in all the gospels to ever call Jesus Lord was Elizabeth. And she proclaimed it before he was ever born. I find that awesome. Reminds me a little bit about what the apostle Paul said to the church in Romans chapter 10, verse nine. What did Paul tell the church and what did he tell people for all ages? He says this, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's something very significant about what we believe and what we declare. If you declare with your mouth, verbally, openly, publicly, Jesus is Lord, and you accompany that with belief that, that he did die and raised from the dead, you will be saved. What an amazing proclamation that Elizabeth makes about, about a baby Jesus, who, who doesn't even have an identity yet before this, other than what the angel told Mary. Fascinating. I think this had to be uh, just amazing to Mary. I think the things she was seeking, in my opinion, she found right away. She didn't get a chance to tell Elizabeth all that was happening, but Elizabeth just knew. So she wanted to be with somebody that could understand. Elizabeth understood through the Holy Spirit exactly what was going on. And Elizabeth says to Mary, you are blessed and I believe that's why Mary says in the very next verse, look at verse 46, Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. I have a question for you this morning. I think it's one that we should wrestle with as a church and the question is this, what does it mean to be truly blessed? It comes up a lot in this part of the Bible. What does it mean to be truly blessed? Elizabeth uses the word three times to describe Mary and the child that she is carrying. Even Mary acknowledges, right? We just read it in verse 48, that she is a blessed person. And I wonder, are we thinking correctly today about what it means to be truly blessed? The idea of being blessed today, and I think you would agree with me, is often associated with things that are comfortable and easy. You know, something happens, and it's like, oh, you are a blessed person. Oh, you have a nice, comfortable home. You must be very blessed. That is, tends to be how we talk about blessings today. We refer to our homes, we talk about our jobs, and we talk about our health and things like that in the context of blessing. I'm not gonna say that they're completely removed either, but that is typically how we talk about blessing. It's the things that we can point to, it's the tangible stuff that we, that we have. That's, that's blessing to many Christians today. It's things we can hold, point to, count, deposit, and pile up. That's typically how we refer to God's blessing. But I want you to see something in our text that 
nothing that Mary had that she called blessed had to do with anything material at all. Mary's blessedness um, had nothing to do with anything easy or comfortable. In fact, her life would be the exact opposite. Think through her life just a little bit. Do you think it was easy being the mother of Jesus? I mean, for the rest of her life, she would face the skepticism, the judgmental looks of the people in her community, others going, oh yeah, Mary, we know what she did when she was 13. You think everybody believed her cockamamie story about this being God's son? Absolutely not. She had to live with that the rest of her life. Just being Jesus' mother is gonna create difficulties for her. When, when Jesus was just a toddler, they had to flee to Egypt. You remember this part of the story? You know why? Because Herod heard that a king had been born and he put an order out there that all the baby boys, two years and under, needed to be killed. And they ran away to Egypt for safety. You think it was easy being Jesus' mom, knowing that, that her, even her adult child, everywhere he went, there was danger everywhere, that people were plotting to kill him? Do you know where Mary was when Jesus was hanging on the cross? Right there at his feet, watching him die. You think that's a blessed life? Is, is that what we call blessed? She said I'm blessed, but that doesn't have anything to do with material things. That doesn't have to do with things that we can hold or touch or any of the things that we ascribe to, to blessings Today, could it be that maybe, just maybe, some of us are looking at what this idea of being blessed is all wrong because we think it's stuff we can hold and point to and have and deposit and count and pile up. But in reality, true blessedness, a biblical definition of blessedness, a blessedness that we see in Mary's life and in Elizabeth's life, true blessedness simply comes from being all about God's plan and being a part of it. That's blessed. How did Jesus describe it to his disciples? Differently than how we describe it today. Luke chapter uh, six, verse 20, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you'll be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leave for joy because great is reward in heaven. This is another reminder that how the Lord views this idea of blessed and how our version of blessedness in modern day Christianity probably aren't quite syncing up like they should. What is blessedness? Friends, we can never lose sight of the fact that our time on earth is very short when you think about it. Being blessed is being, being on earth and knowing that living here is not our final destination, that we are a part of God's plan that puts our eternal home in heaven. That is being blessed. It's knowing without a shadow of a doubt that God loves us and God's love never fails. Being blessed is knowing that the grave is never the end for believers. It is only the beginning for what God has in store for us. That, my friends, is what it means to be blessed. Being blessed has everything to do in this world towards what God is doing and it has very little to do with the stuff that we can collect here. Blessed. You know, I've examined the New Testament and there is no evidence anywhere that Mary was anything other than poor her whole life. But she was blessed and she knew it because she was part of God's 
plan. So I have a question for us as a church today, something for us to just internally wrestle with, each and every one of us. What is it that you are really after today? I mean, I mean when you boil it all down and strip it away, what is it that you are, are really after? I would say it's probably a fair statement that here in Bella Vista, many people could say, I'm blessed. I've got things and, and I've got home and I've got comfort and I've got ease and I'm blessed. But is that how God wants you to see it? What are you really after today? If you were to stand before God, would you say, I finally reached a comfortable, easy life, God? Is that, is that what you would like to report one day? You want to stand before God and say, yeah, I found my health and I found my wealth while I was on earth. Is that, is that what you want to say? And I apologize on behalf of all the false teachers out there that have ever connected your health and your wealth together with your salvation. It's a false doctrine. It's wrong. What, what are you after today? Happiness? Nothing wrong with that. But is that your supreme goal? Um, fulfillment, sure, we all want fulfillment. That's a basic desire. But fulfillment with what? What are you really, really after today? And I feel strongly challenged to challenge you and to challenge myself at the same time that we need to look at our present circumstances, no matter what it is, and to see those completely through the eyes of faith. How does God want me to see this? And that's where you're gonna find true understanding what blessed is. You know, when I, when I think about seeing our circumstances, whatever they are through the lens of faith, I, I think of different individuals that I admire. One of those is uh, Tim Tebow. I'm sure that's a name many of you are familiar with. Tim Tebow had a very short-lived NFL career. Um, I followed his career since college and through his professional playing career and even his desire to play baseball and his retirement from baseball and now his professional life as a, as a sports analyst. I've followed the whole thing. I've read a lot of his stuff. I've, I've heard Tim Tebow speak live. I've heard him speak on TV. I've heard him speak a lot of different places. I, when I think about somebody who who lives their present circumstances through the eyes of faith. I, it's hard not to think of him. I don't mean to elevate him as perfection. I would never do that for anybody. He's as human as anybody else. But there's something about him that I think, man, he's doing something right. A little bit about his career, you know, he came into the league and uh, didn't get to play a whole lot till his second year. The Denver Broncos were really struggling and uh, I don't know if you recall all these details like I do. I'm a Chiefs fan and I even was cheering for the Broncos a little bit, but don't tell anybody during Tim Tebow time. So he gets into the game and, um, and he does well and he leads the Broncos, I think on like a seven or eight game winning streak. It was, it was insane. And the phrase... Tebow mania became a household phrase. Maybe it's coming back from his details. And they even, he even uh, led them to win a playoff game against the Pittsburgh Steelers on an overtime toss. It was, it was awesome. I was coming out of my seat back then. I thought it was great. And uh, again, that pains me to say that as a Chiefs fan. But I was cheering. I was happy about it. You might be going, where, where am I going with all this? Well, when I say that I think Tim Tebow is the real deal and seeing life through, the, through his faith... That got solidified for me one day when, um, when he got mic'd up in one of the games. What I'm talking about, sometimes they'll take a player and they'll put a microphone on them and they have to wear that microphone the whole game and they record every word that the player says. And they were playing the Chicago Bears on this particular day. 
And Tebow was mic'd up. And he took a knee and he said this. Dear Jesus, I need you. Please come through for me. No matter what, win or lose, give me the strength to honor you. Now to me, that's looking at your present circumstances through the eyes of faith. Win or lose, success in the world or not, popular or not, money or no money, things or no things. Give me the strength, Lord, to honor you. That, my friends, is being a part of God's plan. If you wanna know what I think, that's what it means to be truly blessed. Success or not, win or lose, finance or not, whatever, Lord. I just wanna be a part of what you are doing, and I want you to use me, Lord, through it. Mary, if you think about how blessed she was, she was blessed because why? She said, I am your servant, Lord. Do with me whatever you want. There's something in there that I find the true meaning of blessed today. Luke 6, 23 says, rejoice in that day and leave for joy because great is your reward in heaven. Friends, as we kind of bring this time to a close, I really want to challenge you today to examine your life and your circumstances through a true biblical definition of being blessed. And if you're a part of God's plan, if you're here on earth, you know that God loves me and I believe in him and I'm gonna be with him in heaven one day, you are blessed more than you ever know. God loves you and God will take care of you. God will see to you. God knows your name. He knows where you live. He knows everything about you. I promise you the things that we worry about are the things that God already has well under control. You are blessed. Let me pray for you. Dear Lord, I just says always, Lord, I wanna thank you for your holy word. That Lord, you use it to teach us and guide us. And I thank you, Lord, for teaching us the details of the circumstances and the people and the events around the birth of your son, Jesus. And Lord, I just thank you so much that you stepped out of heaven and you came to this world. But Lord, you didn't just come to be here, you came to die and to give your life as a ransom for the world. And I give you great thanks today, Lord, that we can declare that you are the Lord, that we believe in you with all of our heart, that you died on the cross and rose from the, the dead. And Lord, we know that we are saved. And, and by doing so, Lord, we know that we are blessed. Because blessing is about being a part of what you're doing. So Lord, I pray you help us see our life circumstances like Mary did and Elizabeth did as they looked to you and said, we are blessed, Lord. Help us to look at our lives through everything, Lord, through what you're doing. And Lord, for those of us that struggle to do that, that struggle to separate the things of the world from the things of you. I pray, God, you give us a very keen awareness and ability to discern what is and what isn't of you, what is worldly and what is holy. Lord, help us through your spirit to know the difference and to truly see what it means to be blessed. Lord, we declare today in this place that we love you and we lift up your name on high because you loved us, saved us, died for us, Lord, and will come back for us again. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.